Uh, I'm from Knox County, Barberville. Yeah. Or as we call it, Barble. Yeah. <laughs> we forget that whole middle syllable. Well, at this point, it's been a long process of getting getting me to where I am now. Um, for one, it was it started with my wife. You know, he gave her the looks to catch my eye, and then he gave her the the heart that she has to make me fall in love with her. And then, so after you know, falling in love with her and getting married, she ends up working with somebody that goes to church here, and we got invited by her, and we kind of got the details of where it was at, and, and once we walked in the door, we was like, man, that, that girl was really friendly. Let's go on and find our seat, and you know, we pulled our typical sit in the back row, and, and but it was very unique because we didn't feel like anybody was staring at us, anything like that, so we sat down, and then, uh, you know, we hear MJ just absolutely crushing it. And we say, wow, this is this is the kind of music we want to get into. This this makes me feel, you know, feel like I'm, I'm at home even though I've never even been here. And then, you know, Pastor Joe gives his message and it feels like it is right at me and her. And, you know, that's when we decided we need to get more involved. And we joined the small group and, and I just decided, hey, you know, hit that crossroads like we talked about last Sunday, uh, you know, it's do or die, literally. And I had to make the decision. I know what's right, I know what I need to do. Do I do it or, or do I you know, continue on what I'm doing? Even though I, I don't feel like I was a bad person by any means, I wasn't doing bad things, but big difference in, in you know, walking with Christ and, and being a good person. That's the struggle I deal with every day is the difficult conversations that I don't want to have with people that I need to have and uh, overcoming that having those conversations. When I made the decision to, to walk with Christ, it's, there's, there's so much to say, I don't even know where to begin, but uh, just, just my whole outlook on life has changed. That led us to just growing together and communicating better and just building on our relationship. And you know, through that building, building with our relationship through Christ. And to this day, we, we challenge each other and we're starting to study together and just building a, a great relationship with, with each other through Him. And it's just, that's one of those, like I said, natural ways that leads to a much more supernatural result. Amen. What a story, huh? Jeff and uh, Brooke go to church here, and I've had the pleasure of meeting with them. He was a, an EKU football player, I think, when uh, he started here a number of years ago, and him and I meet on a, on a regular basis right now, and it's just been an absolute joy um, to interact with him, and we just invited him to share his story because everybody has a story. Everybody has something to say. God put you here on purpose and for a reason. God created you because he had something in mind. You were not an accident. It was not just something that happened. And there's a place for us to stop and say, Lord, what is my part? What part do I play in your kingdom work? Because that's what we're here for. God is not here for our work. We are here for God's kingdom work. And we want to celebrate that. What a great uh, story that is. Um, we're going to be looking this month at a number of snippets out of the life of Moses. 
The truth of the matter is I could start on, on Moses in January and not be done by the time we got to the end of uh, December. We really could. Uh, we could look and look and look. But I just want to, over this month, just take a couple stories out of the book of Moses, you know, and, and, and we're calling this Holy Moses, you know. Sometimes your grandma said, now, Holy Moses, listen to me, you know. But what we really mean is Holy Moses, that there is something holy, something sacred that Moses was set aside for, and there is something holy and sacred about you as well that you're set aside for. And there's a place for us to yield ourselves to Jesus and say, God, am I doing what you've invited me to do? Or, or sometimes we find ourselves following after Jesus and we're just like, God, this is not what I signed up for. Come on, what's going on here? So we're going to spend a little uh, bit of time looking at this. I'm going to open up today in Act, uh, Exodus chapter 3, but let me just share a couple of thoughts with you for just a, a couple of minutes. This is a picture of Moses. We're just going to be looking at a picture of Moses. And Moses is probably one of the most famous characters in your Bible. I mean, you know, Disney made a movie about him. We have all kinds of things like that going on, okay? But, but that's it, okay? But this is a man that was born in the mud and the straw and the sweat and the struggle. That's where he was born, okay? That's, that's where Moses, he's born right in the grit and, and just right in the mud, okay? He was destined for slavery. If he would have been allowed to live, okay, he would have been destined for slavery. He was destined to die in the trenches of building Egyptian cities. He was destined for obscurity. Nobody would ever know who Moses was. Millions and millions of people die, and nobody ever knows who they are. He was actually destined, Moses was destined for nothing. That, that's what he was initially destined for. Okay, and then his life turned on a dime. You ever, you ever heard that phrase, turned on a dime? That means it just pivoted. You know what I mean? You say, man, I got this car, and I'm telling you, I can turn it on a dime. You know, you go out and buy a new motorcycle, and you say, hey, can you turn that thing on a dime? Oh, I can turn it on a dime, okay? That's not the kind of dime we're talking about, okay? That's not what we're talking about. But his life turned on a dime. He was going to be a slave. He was going to build Egyptian cities. He was born in the mud and the straw, but his life turned on a dime. One instant, one moment, something happened, and it turned. Then he was destined for wealth. Just like that. I mean, literally, put him in the basket, and he's nothing. He's nobody. Pull him out of the basket, he's a son of Egypt itself. He was destined for wealth. He was destined, I'm just going to, he was destined for bouginess. Okay, I'm trying to understand when my daughter uses that word, but it, I, I think it applies here. He's destined for bouginess. I was teasing my son, my grandson the other day, her son, and, and I was saying, he said, well, Grandpa, you got to get up there and you got to tell him. Then his life turned on a dime and he was bussing. And I said, what is bussing? And he said, that's what we say now. And he said, but really, don't say it. Don't say it in church. He said, because that will embarrass me. So I'm not going to say it to embarrass him because I know he's watching online. So I didn't say it, okay? But he, Moses was bussing, okay? It was happening. Moses was destined for parties, okay? He was destined for filthy, rich, living from party to party to party. He was. He was destined for the good life. Moses was destined to rule at this point. Now, he wasn't going to be Pharaoh ever. That was never going to happen. But as a family member, as an adopted child, he would have give, been given a cabinet position and he would have been in charge, okay? It would have been going on. And you can see that to some degree, something was going on. He was destined to live in the palace. He wasn't going to live in a mud hut. He wasn't going to live where people sweat. He wasn't going to live out there. He was destined for the palace. Check this out. He was destined to be served, not to serve, to be served. 
That's what he was destined for. Then his life turned on a dime. We're up to 20 cents now. All right? He's a Hebrew. He goes out walking around and he's checking to see what's going on. They're building pyramids or, or cities or something, but they're building um, storage centers. They're building things and they're out there. And the Hebrew people are slaves. They, they were like um, 72 people went down into Egypt and 470 some years later, there's 1.6 million slaves because this Pharaoh doesn't know Joseph. And so suddenly they're being just worked to death. And so they're building slaves and so suddenly um, Moses is over that and he's walking around and he sees one of these uh, taskmasters beating the Hebrews and, and just, just being ruthless to him. And he goes over there and he goes, you got to stop this. And then in the course of events, he kills the guy, murders him right there in the sand. Now, evidently the people fight or the guy getting beat, everybody must have left because the scripture says he buried him in the sand and, and then he went on with his day. And then the next day or so, he's, he's back out there and he sees two Hebrew people going at it. You ever wonder what God thinks when we go at it on social media, you and me? Come on, I know Sue, you and me, we, we go at it. Let's just be honest, okay? Sometimes we bump, bump heads and everybody sees, right? <laughs> My wife said, stop that. And I'm like, well, sooner or later, somebody has to stand up for the truth. And you're like, well, sooner or later, somebody has to stand up for the truth, right? So we're bumping heads and God's looking down and that's what was going on. And Moses stepped up and he said, don't do this. You're brothers. You're, you, you guys belong to the Hebrew nation. God said he's going to do these things for us. And, and they're like, what are you going to do? Kill us like you did that other guy? Boom, it was out. Just like that, Moses was aware that everybody was aware that he had murdered a man. And it does not appear that we have any knowledge whatsoever that he went back home, he went back into the palace, got his stuff, and left. It appears that he just left. Now, you've got to understand, at this point, Moses is about 40 years old. And it appears that he has some position of authority because he's out checking on the work before he kills the guy. He's out there checking to make sure they're doing what they're supposed to be doing. He's out there moving amongst them, but he is not doing the work. He is dressed. He's got the shaved little head. He's got the little pony hair, ponytail. He's wearing way too much makeup for a man, you know, but in Egypt, it's okay. And it's okay. Okay, so he's doing that. And he's walking around and he's checking on things. And he doesn't like the way the Hebrew children are being treated. And so he takes the guy out and he kills him. We don't know if he cut his head off. We don't know if we, he knifed him. We don't know if he choked him to death. We don't know if he took a rock and banged him on the head. I'm just telling telling you he would have gone to jail for it and, and, and died because Pharaoh would have killed him. And so he ran as fast as he could, just as fast as he possibly could. And now, now, his life turned on a dime. He's an outlaw. You see what happened? He went from slave, born in the muck and the sweat and just everything, to the palace. And just like that, 40 years old, his life flips, and suddenly he's an outlaw, and he's living on the run. He's destined to be hounded by people that want him dead. He's destined to live in fear that somebody's going to show up and kill him. He's destined uh, to never see his family again. Even the family that, that he knew that was Hebrew, he's destined to never see them again. He's destined to be an outcast. He's destined to die in a foreign land. He's destined for the hard life of the desert. Boy, from the palace to the desert, just like that. And while he was out there, his life turned on a dime. There it is again. And God, God 
made him a prime minister of a country, of a people, of a nation that were about to be born, and he was going to make him filthy rich again. He was destined for leadership. He was destined for a mission, for purpose. He was destined to having his life wrecked, and he was destined to follow God and to hear from God. So let me give you my 10 cents worth on this story. All right? I want to take you. Last week at Pulse, at our service on Sunday evening, we looked at Moses' mom and dad and what it must have been like to have God ask more of you than you could possibly give. You ever been there? Where you just feel like God is asking something of you and you don't think you can endure this, you don't think you can go through it, you don't think it's possible, and you just want to say, God, this is just too much. It's too much, God. Sometimes life is hard, but let, can we just be honest? Sometimes it is downright scary. And it happens that fast. I didn't share this in the first service, but I have a sister that lives in Reading, Pennsylvania. And last night I was sitting out on the porch with all my family, all 18 of them. My kids are all in town. My grandkids are all in town. Did I tell you we have a new grandchild? I can say that out loud now. I'm telling you, me and that daughter is going to have a talk, but I can finally say it out loud now. So there's 18 of us sitting on the front porch, and I get a text from my sister who's living in eastern Pennsylvania, and it says, hey, Janice, my wife is right outside the door talking to a student, and I'm like, I'm looking at my sister right there. My, sis my sister is one year older than me. Anyway, in the short of it, we find out that her electrolytes are so low that she's in the hospital. She doesn't know where she is. She doesn't know what's going on. Um, I said, is there a nurse nearby? And so just like that, her life turned on a dime. Just like that, mine did. Just in a hiccup. Just like that. And I got to talk to some of the medical staff, and they said, yes, she's here. We're taking care of it. We're giving her electrolytes. She's going to be great. And she texted me in the middle of the service this morning. I'm going to have to have a talk with her about that but because um, she's a Christian, and she shouldn't be at the hospital. She should be in church. Uh, but in the meantime, I'm just saying, I'm a pastor. I don't care if you're dying. Get to church, okay? Um, but here's the deal. Not, not really. I, don't send me letters, okay? Stay home. Be safe. All right. That being said, sometimes life is downright scary. And just like that, it got scary. But here's the deal. Sometimes you have to back up to see the big picture for what's really going on. Right? We looked at that. Was Moses getting put in the basket? His mom was supposed to kill him. The, the midwives were supposed to kill him. And then Pharaoh said, anybody that sees any babies, kill them if they're boys. Wow. Can you imagine living in a community that's looking to see if you have a baby boy so they can kill it? Wow. Talk about being up against it. Talk about being scared to death. Sometimes you have to back up and see that God is doing something, even if it hurts and it's difficult. Not that he wants our children killed, but if it hurts and it's, if it, it's difficult, that we back up and we say, whoa, 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 God promised us that we would be a nation. And that's exactly what he's doing. But we can't see it because we're in here, right here, making bricks. But God is out here looking at the big picture. And if we could sit where he's seated, we could see, yes, it's going to be hard. Yes, it's going to be difficult. But guess what? We're going to be 1.6 million people instead of 70. And it's going to be great. And he said that as a nation, we're going to be filthy rich. And it's going to be awesome. And don't take my word for it. This is scripture. What, I'm what I just shared with you is scripture. Okay, check this out. Okay, the idea of being set aside by God to be for, for a holy purpose, it doesn't always mean sunshine and roses. I wish that I could tell you that if you would just surrender your life to Jesus, whoo, 
rainbows, that's all you're going to get in unicorns, okay? But it's not going to happen. There's no such thing as unicorns anymore, it appear, okay? Um, there's malformed goats and things like that, but there's no unicorn. Okay, that's another story. Okay, but here's the deal. It's not always sunshine and roses, but the baker, if I can make an analogy for you, the baker has a right to do with the cake whatever he wants to do with the cake, and the cake does not have the right to shake its fist in the face of the baker and say, you don't know what you're doing. But we do that as humanity. We do that to God all the time. Oh, I'm not going to follow a God that will ask that of me. I'm not going to follow a God that won't give me everything I want. I won't follow a God that won't do this. I won't follow a God that won't do that. I won't follow a God if it means that he believes this or that about it. I'm not going to follow a God. Who does he think he is? Listen, you don't have to follow God. I want to let you in on a little secret. You do not have to surrender your life to Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. I wish that you would. But you don't have to. And you can live your life and you can be profitable and you can make millions. I just need you to know that when the trumpet blows, you will have decided for yourself where it is that you're going to spend eternity. And that's going to be on you, not God. See? And that's what we need to wrestle with. Moses has got, man, so many things in his life where we can stop and we can say, wow, check this out, what, what God said about Moses, but I have, um, excuse me, but what God said about Pharaoh, but I have raised you up for this very purpose that I might show you my power and that my name might be proclaimed over all the earth, in all the earth. And God is saying that I have the right to do with what I have created, whatever it is that I want. And just for the record, I created Pharaoh to show the world my great power. And he was saying that in, ten, in anticipation of 10 plagues coming down that were going to rock the world. And Egypt kind of was the center of the world back then, the wealth and the power and the army and all that stuff. And it's like, whoa, dude. God over and over and over again in the story of Moses hardened Pharaoh's heart. And what it meant was he just did things that, you know, when God does things in our lives, like, let me give you an example. If God reaches down and spanks your bottom and you say, God, that's not right, one of two things is going to happen. You're going to walk back to God and you're going to say, God, I'm sorry, please forgive me. Or you're going to say, who do you think you are? I'm not going to follow you anymore. I'm out. If you're going to spank my bottom, I'm not going to have any part of this. It's going to do one of two things. And all God is saying when he hardened Pharaoh's heart is, I'm going to do things in your life, but I already know that rather than repenting, because it's going to be powerful things, you're going to harden your heart and you're going to do this to God. Pharaoh, I already know that's going to be your reaction, but I'm going to use this time to show the world the power of heaven on earth. And so that's our story. And our passage is in Exodus chapter 3. So let's go there. I'm going to use my Bible. You're welcome to follow along, along. I really would encourage you to get a hold of one of these babies. They're so awesome. And I like turning pages anyway. Um, and, so that, and you can write on it. You can't write on just, ah, I'd like to go up there and write on that board up there where the words are, but I can't. Um, you can't. You, can, you can't write on the screen, okay? Um, but you can write on your Bible, and you can write on your paper, and you can write on things like that. But here we go. Exodus chapter 3. Moses is out. He's in the wilderness. He's a shepherd. Check this out. He's a shepherd to a pagan priest because he married his daughter. That's the deal. That's the real deal. Okay? Pagan priest. And so God is talking to Moses. And Moses says, I don't want to go back to the king. I don't want to do that. And I don't want to go back to my countrymen. Who will I say sent me? And God says to Moses, I am 
who I am. This is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me. God said to Moses, say to the Israelites, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever, the name by which I am to be remembered from generation to generation. This is Yahweh. This is Yehovah, okay? This is all the letters without the vowels. That's what this is. This is God who is so sacred that the Hebrew people will not even write his name. They won't even write that word. They leave the vowels out, okay? He says, to, to Moses, go assemble the elders of Israel and say to them, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, appeared to me and said, I have watched over you and seen what has been done to you in Egypt, and I have promised to bring you up out of your country in Egypt into the land of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites, a land flowing with milk and honey. Do you see that promise there? They already knew there was going to be a promise. There was already a promise to make them a great nation, to make them a people that numbered so many people like the sand of the sea, you couldn't number it. So they, they had that, that promise, and they're like, where's this God? And so here's God reminding them of that promise. He says, the elders of Israel will listen to you. Then you and the elders are to go to the king of Egypt and say to him, the Lord, the God of the Hebrews, has met with us. Let us take a three-day journey into the desert to offer sacrifices to the Lord our God. But I know, I know that the king of Egypt will not let you go unless a mighty hand compels him. See, God is saying, I know Pharaoh's not going to let you go out there, so I'm going to twist his arm behind his back, and it's going to hurt. It's going to hurt. He said, so I will stretch out my hand and I will strike the Egyptians with all the wonders that I will perform among them. And after that, he will let you go. He will let you go. And look at this next part. And I will make the Egyptians favorably disposed toward this people, so that when you leave, you will not go empty-handed. Every woman is to ask her neighbor and any woman living in her house for articles of silver and gold and for clothing, which you will put on your sons and your daughters. Here it is. And so you will plunder Egypt. There's God giving Moses a promise to give the children of Israel as they are in suffering and as they are in the mud and the muck and making bricks and building cities and they're doing that and God's like, I'm going to give you a promise. You are about to turn it on a dime and you're going to go from filthy, poor, dirty, and nasty to richer than you ever imagined. Listen to me, and that is exactly what he did. The Egyptians paid the Hebrew people to leave Egypt. They gave them whatever they could. Silver, gold, brass, bronze, precious stones, um, clothing, yarn, wool, uh, animals, sheep, goats. They gave it all to them and said, get out. They were poor slaves and overnight... They were one of the filthiest rich nations on the earth. And that's our story. And so here's Moses, and he's out in the middle of the desert, and he's living his life as a shepherd. And God says, hey, I want you to go back to Egypt. Can you imagine that feeling? You've killed a man in Egypt. Now, a different Pharaoh has risen up than the one that was there when Moses killed him 40 years earlier, or however many years earlier, okay, because he's 40, so it'll be 40, because he's about 80 now. Okay, so 40 years he kills a guy, goes into the wilderness. He's 40 years in the wilderness, and God says, hey, 
I know you killed a guy in Egypt, but I want you to go back. I need you to go back and talk to my people. And these are the things that I want to share with you this morning. Number one, Moses thought he'd run away. But God knew right where he was all along. Moses did what we all do in our lives. When we start sinning, when we start living a life of sin, when we start, you know, like wanting to party instead of go to church, and, and you know, it, it just, we just start making really bad choices. And we think, ah, God doesn't see me down here. Listen, God sees us. When we have a thought in our heads, according to Psalm, I'm not going to quote it to you, but you know, 139. Okay, four thoughts on our tongue. I almost quoted it. Um, before thoughts on our tongue, God knows it completely. There, I did. I quoted it. I'm saying, okay, I'm beating that into your head. Okay, but there it is. So God knows what we're thinking. But we kind of think like humanity does, and we think, wow, if I'm sinning, well, I'll just stay in the dark and sin because God can't see me. And I want you to know that God sees everything. Everything, uh, excuse me, nothing in all of creation is hidden before the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. It says in the book of Hebrews in chapter 4. That's what it says. Everything is open and laid bare before the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. Nothing in all of creation is hidden. Nothing. Nothing that I'm thinking, nothing that I'm doing, nothing that I did, nothing that happened to me. And I can't go through life thinking I can do whatever I want. And God is not going to see it because there's a word in that passage to whom we must give an account. See, the day is coming when we will stand before God and, and we will give an account for the things we said and the things we did and the attitudes of our hearts and, and the way we treated people. We will have to give an account for that. Ah, that's a downer. That's a real downer. But the other side of that is true as well. If you walked in here feeling like God doesn't care about me, God doesn't know where I am, God doesn't know what's going on inside of me, God doesn't, yes, he does. He really does. God knows right where those 70 people were. He knew right where their babies were. He knew right was going what right what was going on with them having to make bricks and build cities for the Egyptians. He knew right there where that Moses buried that guy in the sand. Nothing in all of creation is hidden before the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. He sees it all. And he still loves us. He sees it all and he wants to put his arms around us because we're lonely, because we're rejected, because we're outside, because we're broken, because something went wrong in our lives, because somebody did something to me, because I did something to somebody. Let's just remember there's two sides on that coin. Sometimes we have to go to God and ask forgiveness. Sometimes we have to go to God and ask him to help us forgive somebody. And that's true of all of us. But everything is open and laid bare. But what is it about our humanity that Adam hid from God when he sinned? And he went and he hid under the fauna. That means bushes. I just wanted to say fauna today. So he hid under the fauna, the bushes. And he thought, God can't see me if I'm here like this. Isn't that crazy? You ever been with a niece or a nephew or your new, your new baby that's a toddler now? And, you know, have you ever been with one that sits on the couch and, you know, you want to play peekaboo or something and they're sitting there and, and, and you say, hey, I see you. And they close their eyes real tight and say, no, you don't. You can't see me now. See, we've got this idea if we can't see God, he can't see us. Just close your eyes. Go ahead and sin more. It's great. Close your eyes. You can't see what's going on down here. His eyes are still open. <laughs> 
We learned that a lot by the time we hit four or five years old. to say, I guess you can still see me, can't you? Yeah, God can still see us, but Adam thought he could run and hide. Cain ignored God. Cain kills his brother Abel in the Bible. Okay? Kills his brother, his blood all over, pounds his head with a rock. Okay? Blood everywhere. Walks away. God comes and he's like, Cain, where's your brother? And he's like, I don't know. He didn't want to talk to God. I don't know. Am I my brother's keeper? Move along, God. I don't know. It's not my job to babysit him, is it? And God says, Cain, his blood cries out to me from the ground that has absorbed it. You think I didn't see this? Wow. Jonah. God says, I want you to go to Nineveh. He says, yeah, about that. No. So he gets in a boat and goes the exact opposite way. He's headed for Spain. He is out of here. I'm not going to Nineveh. God, I hate those people. I want you to kill them all. I want them wiped off the face of the earth. God, if I go to Nineveh and tell them to repent, they'll repent and you'll forgive them and love them. And I'm not having any of it, God. So he got on a boat because he thought God couldn't find him on a boat. Well, we know how that went, don't we? Not good. And then there's a guy in the Bible, and his name is Balaam. And I don't know if you've ever read that story, but read it. That's Balaam with two A's, okay? Just throwing that out there. It's not Balaam, it's Balaam, okay? Just read that story because this man said, I'm going to offer you millions of dollars if you'll just curse the Israelites and they'll die. And he said, all right, let me talk to my God. And my God said, no, don't you dare. And he did it like six or seven times. I don't know how many times he did it. And then finally he says, listen, God says, I can't do that, but I really want the million dollars. So I'm going to tell you what. Go around God. Don't kill those people. Just get them to intermarry with these other people and start being parts of their religion. Help them to chase after the pagans because it's all sexual immorality. It's all based on sexual immorality and dancing around a pole and drinking too much and all the partying, and that's what their worship's all about. Maybe kill somebody once in a while on a stone table, but, you know, at the end of the day, what the heck? You give somebody up. It's all right, right? It's like, are you kidding me? Yes, I am kidding you. But that's what their worship was like, and Balaam's like, just go ahead and, you know, dance with those people, intermarry with those people, and you'll get God to curse, you, or curse those people and kill them. And so that's exactly what they did. Balaam thought he could get away with it, and God didn't let him get away with it. No way. You can't run from God. Moses could not run away from God. God knew right where he was all along. Hey, God knows where you are. And at the end of the day, Jesus come down here because he loves you, and he knows where you are. He loves you, and he knows what you're going through. He loves you, and it might hurt right now. But if you could, inside of your soul, back up as much as humanly possible to try to get as big a picture as you can, there is a good chance that the pain you're going through is just God trying to fulfill the prayer that you asked of him. Can you imagine? When, when they had to start making bricks for Pharaoh and they had to collect their own straw as well and then they were mad at Moses and they're like, Moses, we just went from bad to worse. And all God was saying was, in just a couple of days, these people are going to kick you out and make you filthy rich. I'm trying to fulfill my promise to you. And yes, sometimes it hurts just a little bit. But if we can get the bigger picture, we can do, see that God is doing something for us as a people group, not for me personally. Second thing I want to share with you is Moses thought he had left life behind, but God took him back to the king. I'm telling you, God, uh, Moses murdered that guy, buried him in the sand, and headed out. He was out of there. 
moving to a new town. He didn't want anything to do with that anymore. You ever been somewhere where life gets so much and it gets so broken and it gets so awful and it gets so terrible and you get treated so bad that you say, that's it, I'm cutting and I'm running. That's what we used to call it in my day. You cut and you run. You divorce your spouse and you leave the city. You quit your job and you leave the city. You, you, you quit your college education and you move to the other side of the nation. It's just too much and I'm not doing it anymore and I've had enough and, and I've wrecked it all. It's on you and, and that's it. I'm running and I'm getting out of here. And he goes from all the pleasures of the palace and now he's in all the disaster in the desert. All he's got is sheep. All he's got is hot. All he's got is sandals and camel skins and wool and crying sheep all the time. And God said, hey, Moses, I need you to do something for me. And Moses says, why, 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 why don't you ask somebody else? Because I, 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 I'm not good of speech. He had, he had, don't take my word for it. He had a speech impediment. He did. And he said, I, I, I don't speak well. And God said, fine, then I will be God to you and you will be like God to your brother Aaron and I'll put my words in you and you'll give them to Aaron and Aaron will say it. Now get on board with the program. I can only imagine, except that God knew what was coming, that he was exhausted with Moses. I can only imagine. But that's what happened. And God said, Moses, you gotta go back to Pharaoh. Can you imagine God sending you back to whatever it is that you think you ran away from? This is what I want to share with some of you in here, okay? God wants to move you forward, but your past is dragging around behind you and you've got something you need to deal with. I don't know if it's a person. I don't know if it's something you need to pay for. I don't know if it's a circumstance or a situation, but you're wondering, how come I can't move forward with God? But you know right away, you, you knew right away when I said this, that something is dragging along behind you. I'm not saying God didn't forgive you for it. God forgave you. But you know what? Sometimes God forgives us and still says we have to go back and deal with it. And so God said, listen, I want to do something incredible in your life, Moses, and I want to do something incredible in the life of my people, but you've got to go back and deal with the king. You know that Moses thought, man, there's probably wanted posters hanging everywhere. Not that there really was, but in my version there is. And he's like, ah, somebody's going to try to cash in on one of them. i got to go back and talk to Pharaoh. Yeah. I think there's something in your life that you maybe need to go back and, and say, I need to deal with this. Maybe you need to go back and ask forgiveness. Okay? But it doesn't always have to be that. Sometimes something's happened, something has happened to you, and you need to go back and hold somebody accountable for it. You need to go back and say, I need to talk to you about this, please. And not because you're going to get a specific response from them, but because you need to let it go. And as you let it go, you get set free. Suddenly, it's not dragging around behind you anymore. And it's awesome. And you're like, why didn't I do this 20 years ago? Because you were scared living in the desert and you changed jobs. Instead of living in the palace with Jesus, you were living out in the desert wondering where God was. And did he see you? And God is saying, yes, I see you. I just need you to go back to Pharaoh. And you're like, nope. Nope, this is a bad trip. That bush is burning, but it's a bad trip. I'm not doing it. I'm just telling you, some of you were in here. Listen to me. 
There's a little guy, a book that I very rarely have ever preached on, and I very rarely ever hear pastors preach on. It's called Philemon. It's one page of your Bible in the New Testament. It's called Philemon. It's not even like in Philemon chapter 1. There's no chapter. It's Philemon. It's Philemon verse 1. Philemon verse 2. It's just Philemon. Okay? And here's the deal. Philemon is a slave owner. But Philemon is a Christian. And one of Philemon's slaves runs off and goes to Rome. He escapes. He's a runaway slave. And in the course of events, he ends up getting saved and becomes a Christian. Not only does he become a Christian, but he does something really weird that all of you should do when you find a church and decide that that church, he plugs in and starts serving. You decide. Is he serving in the children's department? Is he serving in the production booth? Is he serving coffee and donuts? Is he serving at the front door and greeting people as they come? But he starts serving. He starts serving so much that you'll see what Paul says about him. Okay, because this is what Paul says about him in Philemon, verses 8 through 11. It says, therefore, he's talking to Philemon. Paul is writing a letter to Philemon. Therefore, although in Christ I could be bold and order you to do what you ought to do, yet I prefer to appeal to you on the basis of love. This, it is as none other than Paul, an old man, and now a prisoner of Christ Jesus, that I appeal to you for my son Onis Onesimus, who became my son while I was in chain. Formerly he was useless to you. Now he has become useful to both you and me. And this, if you read that whole letter, it's absolutely amazing. But he's saying, look, I know that he was your slave. I know that he ran away. I know that he met Jesus. I know that he was useless as a runaway slave because you didn't have use of him. But now he has become incredibly useful to the kingdom of God. And I am asking you, and I love the way he says, you know, I'm asking you, but really you owe me your life because I introduced you to Jesus. So pay up. That's really what he's saying. He, don't take my word for it. Read that, read that page. He's like, dude, could you please, if you don't, you'll burn in hell because I saved you. That's what he says. He says, I want you to set Onesimus free. Can you imagine being Onesimus? You want to move forward with God. You got saved. You are serving the apostle Paul. You're running around seeing the Holy Spirit do different things. And then Paul all of a sudden says, Onesimus, you're growing well. You're doing great. But there's one thing I need to send you back to Philemon. Whoa, 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 whoa. Couldn't I just stay here in Rome with you, Paul? Couldn't I just like uh, uh, demote me and I'll just like polish sandals, okay? Uh, but don't send me back. Don't send me back. Don't worry, Onesimus. I will send you back with a letter asking him to free you. But Onesimus had to go back knowing that Philemon might say no to Paul. Now, Paul was pretty compelling, <laughs> but he still could, Onesimus, I mean, Philemon could still say no. Sometimes, in order to move ahead with God, we have to go back. And I think there's some of you in here that need to go back and, and, and take care of some business so that you can move forward. God is trying to answer your prayer, and you're trying to ignore whatever it is that's dragging behind you, and letting go of it will set you free in a manner in which you didn't know. Last thing I want to share with you is this. Just like you and I, God had a plan for Moses all along. It just felt like his life was being wrecked. And sometimes that's where we are, right? Sometimes that's it. 
Sometimes we have the best life and it's amazing and then suddenly we're holding on to it too tight and it hurts real bad and it's uncomfortable and it's a lot like um, a rose stem. You've got this beautiful flower and it's blooming and it's in front of you and it's absolutely gorgeous and it's stunning but you just, and you don't want to give it up and God says, I need you to do what I'm asking you to do and you're like, no, and God is saying, just let go of the, the rose and you're like, no, this is the best flower I ever had. It's beautiful and you hold it tighter and tighter and tighter and then you want to shake your fist to God and say, God, this blessing you gave me hurt. And God's saying, then let go of it. And you're saying, no, it's mine. See? And pretty soon we're bleeding. And God maybe put the thorns on the rose so that we wouldn't cling to it so tightly that we'd be quicker to give it away. Because I believe that God wants to bless our lives. I believe that he wants to do things in our lives. But we've got to be willing to let go. Letting go of whatever that is that you think is yours and it's only yours and you can't dare lose it allows us to move into the inheritance that God has for us. Letting go of what's in your hands that you're clenching so tightly lets us open up our hands to receive the next blessing from God. But it doesn't happen as long as we're clinging to it too tightly. And it doesn't have to be your job or your relationship. It can be just the idea of the trust that you put in that, those things. I know, but if I let go of this, God won't. Okay, so it's not the job. It's how much trust you're putting in it. It's not the person. It's how much trust you're putting in them. It's not your 401K. It's how much trust you're putting in it. And God says, listen, if that's what we're going to do, I'm going to knock these legs out from underneath this table because I need you to let go. And so he put thorns on a rose so that when we cling to it too tightly, we want to put it down. What if we were conduits for God's blessings instead of cul-de-sacs for his blessings. You understand what I'm saying when I say that through the years? What if we were just the pipe that God sent his blessing through and we just kept sharing it with other people as we go through life? We enjoyed it ourselves instead of building ourselves cul-de-sac and say all of God's blessings end right here with me and they stay here. What if we instead chose to make the cookies and not eat them all? What if we took them to the neighbors? Ah, their little dog poops on my yard. Why would I give them cookies? I want to shoot their little dog. No, don't shoot their little dog. Okay, we're dog people. Don't do that. All right? Give them the cookies and watch God put more cookies in your life. Watch him do it. Sometimes we need to submit to the thorns so that we can enjoy the blessings of God. James, James, the brother of Jesus, says this, Submit yourself then to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Come near to God, and he will come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. Grieve, mourn, wail. Um, change your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom. And all he's saying is just recognize that we need Jesus, okay? And then he says, and humble yourselves before God so that he can lift you up. Humble yourself. Let go. Don't stay in the desert with the sheep. Don't stay at the burning bush because it's magic. Don't stay there. When the burning bush says, I need you to go back to Pharaoh and deal with some stuff that's dragging along behind you, decide that that's exactly what you're going to do. Paul tells the church in Rome this. He says, in the same way the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes um, for us through wordless groans. And he also searches our hearts and knows the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance with the will of God. Check this out. 
But we know that in all things, all things, okay, God works for the good of those who are called, who love him and have been called according to his purpose. So even though Moses was created for this very thing that he was about to do, he didn't just get to live in the palace and then take over. He ended up going through 40 years in the palace and 40 years in the desert. And then we would know, as a shepherd, and then we would know that he ends up 40 years in the desert leading a rebellious people. 120 years he lives. Sometimes God's got to take us around to get our prayer answered so that he could say to Abraham, who's alive and living in heaven, hey, Abraham, remember I said I would make you a great nation? I did it. I made you a great nation. 1.6 million people left Egypt, and then they kept growing beyond that. See, God is a God of promises. He's a God of covenant. He's a God who loves you. Moses left a murderer, and Moses came back a leader. God wants to use you too. God is up to something in your life. God is up to something in our church because God is always up to something. God wants to take you from the muck and the straw and the mud to the palace. But the goal is always going to be to serve other people, not to serve me. I believe that God wants to take you from empty to encouraged. I believe that God wants to take you from broken to blessed. I believe that. I would not stand up here and do this day in and day out. I believe that God wants to take some of you from a scarred physically, emotionally, and spiritually to sacred. To sacred. I believe that God wants to take you from fearful to fearsome, to a force to be reckoned with. You are not a doormat even when you yield. But more than anything, I believe with all my heart that God wants to take you from hopeless to Hooper Nikeo. You're saying, what the stink is Hooper Nikeo? Hupernikeo is the Greek word in Romans chapter 8 that means you and I are more than conquerors. We are overcomers to such a degree. It was like Alabama and Miami yesterday. Alabama, not my team, but Alabama, didn't just show up. They were Hupernikeo. 41 to 3, 41 to 8, whatever. What, I mean, come on. You're on national TV, people. Score a point, would you? I'm rooting for the underdog because I feel so bad for them. God wants you to be not really Alabama. Alabama, I'm not talking to you. I'm talking to you people. He wants us to understand Hooper Nikeo that we would be overcomers to a degree that people would see us. But we don't always live that life, do we? Because sometimes we run from God and we're hiding. 
Sometimes we're in the desert and we think God doesn't even know where I am and he doesn't care. And he does. And sometimes God says, I need you to go back and deal with something that's dragging along behind you and it's a weight that is killing you. And to some degree, you may just have to go back and say, hey, listen, I am sorry. To some degree, you may have to, may have to go back and make up for it. For some of you, it's just going and getting it out there so you don't have to live in the shame and, and the ugliness and, and this fear that people will find out. Because God wants to do something amazing in your life. But when he does it, listen to me, you're not a cul-de-sac. The only reason God wants to do something amazing in your life is because he's trying to reach the more. And you've got to be willing to say yes. Paul says, no, 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 no. In all these things, we are hupernikeo. We are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth or anything in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Whatever it is that God is asking of you right now in this moment, I promise he is going to surround you with people or give you the power to take the next step. I want to look at the life of Moses and I want to believe that Moses who is called the friend of God is no different than Joe Wood who wants desperately to be a friend of God and I want that for you too as we go through this series on Moses what is God saying to you today let's have a prayer God who is God in heaven we want to thank you and praise you Lord for what you're doing in our lives and for the blessings of who you are we thank you for the joy. We thank you for the struggle. We thank you for the thorns, God. But more than that, we thank you for the beauty of the rose itself. We thank you for the blessings, God. But don't let us choke up on yesterday's manna. We want today's blessing, God, so that we can touch the community around us. God, I pray that you use this group of people, this service, and the one before it to bring salvation to Richmond, Kentucky, to bring salvation to Madison County, Kentucky, to bring salvation to Central Kentucky, to bring salvation to Kentucky, to bring salvation to the United States, to bring salvation to the world. Because it's not about me, it's not about my nation, it's about you. It's about your promises and they are faithful and true. And so I say, come Holy Spirit, wreck our lives, fill us back up, so that we can pour our lives back into other people as well. Where we work, where we play, where we study, where we earn, all of these things, God. Let it be according to you in Jesus' name. Amen. As we gather together, those of you that are home, there's a button on the bottom that says request prayer. If you're watching online, it's there for you. Just click that thing and somebody will be glad to pray with you. Glad to. Those of us that are here, the prayer team is right here. We want to pray for you. Some of you, have, you're on this. God has just reached in and grabbed a hold of your heart and he's just coddling it for you because he wants you to know that he loves you and there's just something you've got to do, something that's scaring you, something that's breaking your heart, something that you're even terrified of. And God is saying, I got this. I won't send you back. I won't, I won't leave you to do it by yourself. I'll go with you. And you know you got to do it. We want to pray for you. Some of you have never surrendered your life to Jesus Christ, and you're wondering what that's all about. We want to do that with you too. <laughs> I love that part. But I also like you seeing, I like seeing you get your life back from the mess that even as Christians we make it. Give God a chance. While we're singing this song, you come up and people will pray with you. 
And if there's not enough people to pray, more people will appear because I know God. And I know who's in the room, but I know God. And we can do that. All right.